The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tong. This program will provide the groundwork you need to advance your awareness and be involved in the approaching transformation in consciousness. Now, your host, Peter Tong. Hello and welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation and I'm your host, Peter Tong. Thank you for joining us today. Intention in these episodes is to give you insights into how the planet is shifting in frequency and vibration to a new level of awareness and how you can be part of this grand awakening. And today I'm absolutely delighted to welcome to the show Dr. Joe Dispenza, who many of you will recognize from uh, What the Leap. And Joe has uh, written two books, and this is the second book to follow up the first one, which was called Evolve Your Brain. And this book is called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, which is a pretty interesting title, Joe. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Peter. Happy to be with you. So perhaps you could begin by telling us a little bit about why you chose to write this second book. Well, I think really it's a time in history where people just not only want to know, but they want to know how. And uh, just on my own personal journey after What the Bleep, uh, the movie, and uh, when I published my first book, people were very excited about the science, you know, because I think... For now, um, you know, science is the contemporary language of mysticism. It, it doesn't exclude anybody. When you start talking about religion or tradition or cultures, there's a division that goes on. So I think that science is a great way to explain and demystify the mystical. So the feedback that we got unanimously was uh, really, you know, interesting material. It makes sense, but how do we do it? How do we change our mind? How do we begin to use these concepts from quantum physics and neuroscience and neuroendocrinology and genetics to really begin to piece together a model that allows us to use it and apply it in our lives? And because if you don't apply it in your life, it's just good dinner conversation. So um, after a lot of effort, uh, we started teaching workshops around the world and um, workshops that we taught were really showing people how, how the inward journey takes place, and if you combine a little um, knowledge about the brain, uh, about when the brain is in balance and out of balance, a little brainwave technology and a little quantum physics, uh, I, hopefully it makes people uh, inspired to, um, to, to give it a shot. From what you've just said, actually, it's interesting because I, what I've been w- working on also is this notion that it's, it's going from the intellectual understanding of something to the actual full embodiment of it. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, when you apply knowledge, when you personalize it, when you demonstrate it, when you read a book on how to build a doghouse or how to dance the salsa or how to be a great parent or how to forgive, and you read the book three or four times, you're, you're learning all that information intellectually. It's theory. It's it's facts. It's uh, someone else's experience. When you take that information 
after you read it, you, you learn new things, and learning is making new synaptic connections in your brain. That's what learning is. Remembering is maintaining and sustaining those connections. So as you read a book on something that inspires you, uh, unless you do something with it, uh, it will remain as a philosophical concept. But once you imply, apply it and personalize it, and you do something differently, you modify your behavior, you're going to have a new experience, and that new experience is going to create a new emotion. And when that happens, the moment you have an emotional experience from something that you do that's different, you're teaching your body chemically or emotionally to understand what your mind intellectually understood. So knowledge is for the mind and experience is for the body. And the moment you gather new information from the environmental experience, the circuitry in your brain reorganizes itself to enhance or enrich the circuits you learned intellectually, and then uh, uh, the brain begins to produce a chemical, which is information from the environment. And the moment new information makes it from the environment, you begin to signal new genes in new ways, and now you're breaking out of your typical familiar self. So one of the most important uh, concepts in the, in the book for, for me in, in reading it was uh, in the first few chapters, you talked about to be uh, to, to change is to be greater than your environment, your body, and greater than time. And that I think needs some explanation for our listeners. Can you explain that? Well, let's just say that you and I believe in the concept or the idea that our thoughts have something to do with our destiny. That our thoughts somehow create our life. So the average person gets up and gets out of bed on the same side, shuts the alarm clock off with the same finger, goes into the bathroom and uses the toilet as they always do, uh, look at themselves in the mirror to remember who they are, you know, drive to work the same way, drink coffee, the same exact coffee as they did yesterday, do the things that they've memorized and can do so well, uh, see the same people that push the same emotional buttons. Well, we could say that those people are thinking the same thoughts performing the same actions, living by the same emotions, but secretly expecting something to change in their life. Now, the neuroscientific model of reality says that your brain is organized to reflect everything you know in your life. Your brain is a record of your environment, a record of your past. So, does the environment control your thinking, or does your thinking control your environment? So as you see the same people go to the same places, do the same things um, that create the same experiences that produce the same emotions, it's the external environment that's turning on different circuits in your brain to cause you to think equal to everything you know. And as long as you think equal to everything you know, if you believe in the thought that your thoughts create your life, then you keep creating more of the same, more of the familiar. So to change then is to think greater than our environment, to think greater than the conditions in our world, to think greater than the circumstances in our life. And I think every great person in history understood this, whether it was William Wallace or Mahatma Gandhi or Joan of Arc or Martin Luther King, they all had a vision that was bigger than them. And the the beauty behind um, having a vision that's bigger than you, that there's a good possibility that if you keep thinking about it and you keep reviewing it in your mind, you can change your brain to look like the experience has already happened. Your brain now is ahead of the environment. It's no longer a record of the past, but now, in fact, a map to the future. The brain then can actually change by thought alone. So can you believe in a future? 
that you can't see or experience with your senses yet, that you've thought about enough times in your mind that your brain has literally changed to look like the event has happened. Well, that's how we begin to be greater than our environment. It's a pretty profound uh, notion, and, and obviously you have experience of it. Could you talk a little bit about how that has worked for you personally? Well, you know, if you want to create anything according to the quantum model of reality, um, we have to begin to cultivate a new mind. So if we wake up in the morning and we begin to think about or contemplate a new way of being, we begin to uh, plan who we're going to be in our, in our daily lives. And we remind ourselves uh, and become conscious of our unconscious thoughts, our unconscious behaviors, and our unconscious emotions. And we begin to remind ourselves all of the complexities of the old self. In time, then, we'll become so conscious of our unconscious self that we won't let any thought, any habit, or any feeling slip by us that would, would cause us to return to our normal a familiar self. And by the same means, you know, if you ask yourself, well, who do I do want to be today? And you begin to think about a new way of being. You begin to plan a new set of behaviors. You begin to put energy or rewire your brain with a new set of thoughts. And you say, I'm not going to get up until I am this person. Well, <clears throat> if your thinking produces an experience in your mind, the end product of that experience is called a feeling or an emotion. You'll begin to feel like that person. And the moment that happens, you're beginning to recondition the body to a new mind. Now, when your mind and body are working together, when your thoughts and feelings are aligned, you're in a state of being. And if you get up being somebody else than if you did your typical normal routine during the day, if you're being somebody else, a greater expression of yourself, you're more prone to do things and think things equal to who you're being. So that's the question I ask myself every morning. Wow. So does that mean then that the unconscious, um, as you become more conscious of the unconscious, does the unconscious ultimately disappear? Well, <clears throat> the, according to the concept of firing and wiring, and no longer firing and no longer wiring, if you are reminding yourself of who you subconsciously or unconsciously have become, because 95% of who you are by the time you're 35 years old is a, a set of memorized behaviors, emotional reactions, beliefs, perceptions, attitudes that run like automatic unconscious programs. So as you begin to notice those, become aware of them, pay attention to them, if you're no longer firing and no longer wiring those circuits in your brain, there's a strong possibility that you'll biologically begin to break down the old self, and it will seem like the old you was another lifetime. And so then you're, so you're actually recreating yourself out of the old paradigms and structures that you had and creating the new you that you really want to be. The process of change requires unlearning and relearning requires breaking the habit of your old self and reinventing a new self. It requires pruning synaptic connections, as we say in neuroscience, and sprouting new connections. It requires unmemorizing emotions that we've learned from our past, that we think we are, and then reconditioning the body to a new mind or new emotion. It requires, you know, going from the past to the future. 
deprogramming and reprogramming, and that's the model that actually allows people to make measurable changes. And so, uh, as people, you, you, cause I know in the book you refer to uh, having, us having three brains rather than one brain, so perhaps you might just want to give us a quick uh, insight into that. <laughs> I think we should wait for the break, and then I can... <laughs> nice, nice explanation. <laughs> okay, well, why don't we actually... We'll, we'll take the break now, and uh, we'll return uh, with Dr. Joe Dispenza after the break. We're talking here about his work, uh, his general work, but in, specifically in his new book, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. Just a reminder to go to my own website, www.petertung.com where my April newsletter will just about be out and we'll be having a discussion in that about our wonderful landscape zodiac journeys through Pisces and to the hub of the wheel at the, at the equinox uh, and also to www.myheartcenteredjourney.com and the Ambassadors of Light program where we hold a class every two weeks to keep you up to date with what is happening in the world of spirit and the energy changes that are taking place and to have discussions like we are today on the show with Dr. Joe Dispenza. So, Joe, just before the break, uh, I asked you about the three brains that we actually have rather than the one, and uh, back to you to discuss that. Sure. You know, we've actually hinted about it in the first uh, segment here. We have three brains in one, and those three brains really, Peter, allow us to go from thinking to doing to being. Now, the first brain is called the neocortex. That's that walnut that exists on the outside with all those folds and valleys, um, really developed and highly specialized in human beings. And that neocortex is what plugs us into reality. It's the seat of our conscious awareness. We're talking right now and we're using our neocortex. And every time you learn something new, you make a new connection in your neocortex. Every time you learn a new bit of information, you forge a new circuit in the uh, three-dimensional tapestry of your gray matter. So every time you read a book on any, any subject matter, 
you're philosophically, theoretically, and intellectually wiring that information into your brain. Now, once you take that knowledge and you do something with it, you apply it, you personalize it, um, you, you modify your behavior so that your behaviors match your intentions of what you learned, or your actions are equal to your new thoughts and you make new choices, <clears throat> you're going to have a new experience. And a new experience is going to activate the second brain called the limbic brain or the emotional brain or the chemical brain. Now, if you read the book on compassion by the Dalai Lama <clears throat> and you have all that information stored in your thinking brain, you read the book three times, you're moving around in your life and you're telling everybody that they need to forgive and they need to be compassionate. And people are just in awe of your knowledge. But now all of a sudden you get a call from your spouse or your partner and they tell you that uh, it's their mother's birthday and you have to go to the birthday party uh, with your partner or your spouse. And you catch yourself saying, to you, saying oh my God, I... I don't like my mother-in-law. She hurt my feelings 10 years ago. Um, I don't like who she is. And all of a sudden, you remind yourself, oh, my gosh, I read the book on compassion. Now, as you pull over on the side of the road and you think about who you no longer want to be, as you become conscious of your unconscious thoughts, you notice your propensities and behaviors, and you look at the feelings that you're feeling, as you decide and restrain those impulses to who you no longer want to be, you begin to quiet down the circuits in your brain that are connected to the old self. And if nerve cells no longer fire together, no longer wire together, you're beginning to prune away the old mind. Now, as you begin to think about who you do want to be, and you begin to plan your actions, what thoughts you want to put your energy behind, what... Um, behaviors you wanted to demonstrate, what feelings would be more appropriate, you begin to cause your brain to fire in new sequences and new patterns and new combinations. And if nerve cells that fire together wire together, as you contemplate a new way of being, you're installing the neurological hardware in your brain ahead of the actual experience. In other words, your brain is beginning to fundamentally change to reflect a new mind. And if you can remind yourself who you do want to be, you begin to prime your brain so that you have circuits to use when you walk into that dinner. Now, if you walk into that dinner and you get your actions equal to your thoughts or your behaviors equal to your intentions, you're going to have a new experience. Now, when we're in the midst of an experience, everything we're seeing and smelling and tasting and feeling and hearing, all of our five senses plug us into the environment. And when we begin to experience something new, all of that data begins to rush back to the brain through five sensory pathways. And the moment it reaches the brain, jungles of neurons begin to organize themselves into patterns. The moment those neurons string into place, that limbic brain or the emotional brain begins to make a chemical to reflect that experience. So the moment you walk into the dinner and you do exactly what the book says, you see yourself and your mother-in-law, you... Uh, you don't hold her to her past. Um, you stay present. And the moment you begin to do something differently and you have that new experience, all of a sudden you begin to feel compassion. The moment you begin to feel compassion, you're teaching your body what your mind is intellectually understood. The limbic brain begins to produce a chemical and you begin to embody compassion. You begin to embody love. You begin to embody forgiveness. The word is becoming flesh. 
The moment that happens, we're beginning to signal new genes in new ways. And for that moment, the mind and body are working together. But it's not enough to do it once. We have to be able to repeat the experience over and over and over again. We have to be able to do it so many times at will that we begin to neurochemically condition the body to memorize compassion as well as the conscious mind. Now, if we keep doing it over and over again, over and over again, like anything else, repetition begins to activate the third brain called the cerebellum, seat of the subconscious. And we could say that if you practiced it so many times that you no longer have to think about it, what it means is that the body knows as well as the mind because it's been neurochemically conditioned over and over again. Once the body knows as well as the mind, you're in a state of being, and that's when it's a skill or a habit, it's second nature, it's subconscious, it's unconscious. And we could say then, when we get to this point where we've neurochemically memorized an internal state that nothing in our external environment would move us from it, we could say we're beginning to master compassion and it's beginning to become innate in us. So... This general process of evolution is nature's way of saying, look, you've got three brains, actually. Just don't learn it intellectually. Just don't have an experience once. Do it enough times so that your internal order is so, so uh, coherent that nothing in your external environment could move you from it. And that's the point where um, is, we are in a state of being. And I guess we get challenges to, to in that state or not as we go through our life. Absolutely. That's... Uh, our life is our initiation. <laughs> where, else we, where else do we get challenged? Now, central to the book um, is meditation, and there are all sorts of different, uh, again, understandings of what meditation actually is, but it is an important aspect of the book, certainly. So perhaps you could uh, tell our listeners what you mean by meditation and why it's so critical in this process. Well, you know, I, my, one of my passions, Peter, really is to demystify the mystical. I mean, that's really where I find my greatest, one of my greatest joys. So I started to actually research the word meditation. And uh, the word meditation in Tibetan means to become familiar with. The symbol actually means to become familiar with. So if you can become conscious of those unconscious thoughts that are wired in your brain because by the time we're 35 years old, those circuits are pretty hardwired. They're running automatically. And you can begin to notice your habits and behaviors that you demonstrate that no longer support you. And you can begin to become familiar with those emotions that bring you to a lower denominator. That concept in neuroscience is called metacognition. In Meditation is also called mindfulness. You're beginning to become conscious of your unconscious self, so much so that it's so familiar to you that you would never let any thought slip by unnoticed by you, never return to any behavior that causes you to undermine your greatness or not live by any emotion that knocks you out of balance. The moment you are observing those states of mind and body, it means that you're no longer the program but the consciousness observing the program, you're beginning to wake up, you're beginning to become, you know, conscious of your unconscious self, you're beginning to become familiar with those aspects of the old you, and as you begin to do that, you're no longer firing and no longer wiring those circuits, and you are biologically beginning to 
prune those connections that are connected to the old self away. Now, if you said, well, let me decide who I do want to be, how I do want to think, how I do want to act, and how I do want to feel, and you begin to contemplate a new way of being, as you begin to think about and speculate new ideas, you begin to cause your brain to fire in new sequences and new patterns and new combinations. And whenever you do that, whenever you make your brain work differently, you're changing your mind. According to neuroscience, mind is the brain in action. Now, if you allowed the thoughts that you were thinking to become the experience in your head, in other words, the privilege of being a human being is we can make thought more real than anything else. If the fantasy, the, the, the imagination, <clears throat> the prayer, the intention began to inspire you to feel like that person. The moment you begin to feel like that person, you're beginning to recondition your body to a new mind. And if you can remind yourself who you do want to be every day, nerve cells that fire together, wire together, it will begin to become familiar to you. And if you can cultivate an emotion that's equal to that state of being, whether it's heartfelt love, or joy, or inspiration, or gratitude, whatever elevated emotion you choose, if you repeat it every day, you'll begin to condition your body to a new mind, and it will begin to become familiar to you. So the biological model of change, of unlearning and relearning, that we've been talking about is the exact same model that mystics have been using for uh, thousands of years, because Uh, It's just not enough to think positively. We have to become conscious of those unconscious states before we begin the process. So it requires a little little awareness and then reprogramming. Thank you. I think we're probably just about time for our uh, second break here, Joe, and we'll return with the more wonderful insights from Joe Dispenza after this break. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. You're listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. 
have with me today Dr. Joe Dispenza, who's just put out a new book called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. And this is one of those must-read books if you are genuinely on the path to enlightenment. Uh, all the information you require and the how-to is within this book. And, uh, Joe, you've done a wonderful job. Congratulations. Thank you very much, Peter. So just give us uh, the information that people can connect with you to go to get the book or to go to your website for further information. Sure. My website is simply www.drjoedispenza.com. That's D-R-J-O-E-D-I-S-P-E-N-Z-A. Um, on the website, there are uh, lists of, uh, uh, of events that I do around the world teaching um, you know, the model of change and giving people the tools to practice. Uh, the book is on Amazon. Uh, and um, if there's any other uh, people that are interested in a new movie that's coming out uh, you know, around the country, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer just bought the rights, the distribution rights movie. It's called The People versus The State of Illusion. And uh, written by a, a very, very um, wonderful man named Austin Vickers, and uh, it just opened in Seattle last weekend, and uh, uh, it sold out every night. So it's, we know it's probably going to take off uh, and be a pretty successful film. And so that's being shown around the country, around the States, is it? Yes, it's going to start off in Seattle, then it's uh, the weekend of the 24th. It'll open in Denver, and then from there it'll just keep every, they'll add a city every weekend, and, and uh, they're hopefully going to get to at least 12 cities uh, uh, by the summer. And any other projects you've got up at the moment? Any more workshops uh, coming up soon? Um, well, let's see. Uh, I just was in Denver last weekend. I'll be in uh, New York uh, the weekend of uh, the 31st of March. I'll be in Oslo, Switzerland. Uh, I'll be pretty, mu <laughs> pretty much around the world these days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's all, all the information is on the website? Yeah, all the information is on the website. There's a new product out called The Reinvention of Self. It's an audio CD that... Uh, Seems to be getting a lot of attention as well. So, uh, uh, it's, all, it's all, yeah, it's all on the website. Right. Well, wonderful. Well, good luck with that movie. It sounds wonderful. Thank you very much. So, another uh, really important aspect of the work that you're doing is, uh, is to do with living in survival as opposed to living in creation. And part of my work is working with people who are terminally ill with, with cancer. And they often say, you know, I'm just in survival mode. Um, because that's all they can, they can look at or face in, in that moment. Tell us about living in survival and living in creation. Sure. Well, living in survival is living in stress. Now, stress, very simply, is when your body is knocked out of homeostasis, when your body is knocked out of balance. The stress response is what your body innately does to return itself back to order. Now... There are really pretty much three types of stress. There's physical stress like accidents, injuries, traumas, falls. There's chemical stress like flus and allergies and pesticides and pollutants and heavy metals and blood sugar levels. And then there's emotional stress, you know, internet connections, uh, single, parenting, single parenting, traffic jams, uh, you know, second mortgages, 401ks, uh, losses in a family. Now, that's an emotional stress. Now, whether it's physical, chemical, or emotional, the body is knocked out of balance. Now, all organisms in nature, Peter, are designed for short-term stress. Uh, a, uh, a lion chases a gazelle. The gazelle outruns the lion. Fifteen minutes later, it goes back to grazing. It goes back to balance. 
That's a short-term stress. Now, human beings, we're a little different. We have complex stressors, and in addition to that, we can actually turn on the stress response just by thought alone. We can begin to think about our problems. We can begin to focus on some worst-case scenario in the future. And as we begin to anticipate or expect it to happen, the body as the unconscious mind does not know the difference between the actual experience that's producing the stress and the stress that we're creating by thought alone. The body begins to live in that future reality right in the present moment. And if we keep turning on that stress response over and over again and we can't turn it off, now we're headed for disease because it's a scientific fact that the chemicals of stress, the adrenaline and the cortisols and the 30 other different chemicals that are created, knock the brain and body out of balance to such a degree that those chemicals dysregulate or downregulate the genes that begin to create disease. Now, here's the interesting thought. It means, then, if we can turn on a stress response by forecasting some worst-case scenario or going back and revisiting a memory that's tattooed in the recesses of our gray matter and we bring up a memory from the past and to us it's real in that moment, then if we can turn on that stress response just by thought alone and those chemicals make us sick, (laughs) well, then our thoughts can make us sick. Well, it begs the question, if our thoughts can make us sick, can our thoughts make us well? Now, those hormones of stress, without a doubt, create those emotions of anger and aggression and hatred and judgment, of fear, anxiety, of insecurity, of hopelessness, of powerlessness, of, of depression, of sadness. Those are the hormones of stress that create those emotional states that cause us to begin to function in a very selfish way. The ego becomes endorsed by those chemicals and it moves out of balance and we become overly focused on the self. We're self-involved, we're self-centered, we're self-indulgent, we're self-serving. It's all about the self. And when those chemicals run, we begin to focus on three things. We focus on our bodies, we focus on the environment, we focus on time. When the gazelle is being chased by the lion, She's concerned about her body. I better take care of this. Where am I going to go in my environment? She's looking around. She's over-focused on her environment. And how much time do I have? She obsesses about time. When you and I are living by those hormones of stress, we identify the self as a body living in the environment in time. And the senses become heightened, and we function as materialists, and we feel separate from possibility because in that state of emergency, There's no room to think about possibility. There's no room to think about growth and repair. There's no room to think about our future or long-term building projects. The emotions of stress are like a triple cappuccino, and we begin to experience those heightened states, and those heightened states then begin to reinforce our identity so that we can remember who we think we are as a somebody. Now, when those chemicals of stress are running and coursing through our our veins, and we're functioning as materialists, as a body, the environment, and time, the atom is 99.99999% nothing, 0.00001% material, particle. Well, we put all of our attention on the particle, and we miss out on possibility. Now, in the state of creation, 
when you and I are truly creating, the one thing we know about when we are in a state of possibility is that when we're truly in that state, we are so present in the moment. We're no longer anticipating some future event based on some past memory. We're so present that the forebrain begins to take over instead of the hindbrain. And when that happens, we become nobody. We become no thing. We become no time. We're so absorbed in what we're doing that we forget about ourselves. We forget about our ego. We become egoless. We become a nobody instead of a somebody. And in the moment that happens, that elegant moment where you are no longer functioning as that identity any longer, the frontal lobe begins to silence all the circuits in the rest of the brain so that nothing else is being processed but a single-minded thought. That's the moment you walk through the door to the quantum field because that's the moment you begin to look at possibility and you feel connected to something greater. You feel like you're at cause and you're seeing new possibilities because there's actually a functional change that takes place. When we are in that state of creation, we're seeing a whole new landscape. We're focusing on that 99.999% of possibility that's the particle going to a wave, and we feel somewhat connected to something greater instead of separate from it. And in this state of creation, when the brain begins to change like this, we begin to change the brain to look like the experience has already happened. We begin to cultivate a new mind, and that's when the energy moves out of those survival centers of aggression and digestion and sadness and sexual identity and that energy moves right up into the heart. And the moment it moves up into the heart, you begin to fall in love with the moment. You begin to fall in love with possibility. The body is no longer out of balance. The brain is no longer out of balance. And in that moment, when that happens, you feel more like yourself than you ever felt, and I call that the natural state of being. And it's in that place that natural healing can take place. It's the only place it can take place. <laughs> Can you, to help people concretize this a bit, can you give us an example of a person who's made these types of changes? Sure. There have been so many people. We had a, a young uh, sister, well, young, she's about 40-year-old female, that um, who had a really rough patch in her life. She was in a really terrible relationship. She was living in fear and unworthiness and insecurity, and the hormones of stress were coursing through her body every day, and... She was thinking and uh, thoughts that were reinforcing or reaffirming her emotional state. She was behaving differently than she normally had, and those emotions then, of course, created other emotions, and in a very short amount of time, she started feeling really bad. And so she went to the doctor, and she was diagnosed with Hashimoto syndrome. She began to uh, create uh, a chemical imbalance in her body that began to push the genetic button began to cause her thyroid to no longer function. She went to the doctor. The doctor said, you're going to live with this the rest of your life and you're going to need to be on some hormone replacement. <clears throat> well, she didn't accept that. And um, she began to look at all of those survival states, the thoughts that she was thinking, because your personality creates your personal reality. And your, personal, your, your personality is made up of how you think, act, and feel. So, if you want to create a new personal reality, then you have to look at the thoughts that you're thinking, the behaviors that you're demonstrating, the emotions that you're living by in order to create something differently. So 
she began to become conscious of those unconscious states, and then she said, who do I want to be? And she literally freed the body from the chains of that past experience, those past experiences, and she unmemorized those emotions. And as she began in her meditation to think about who she did want to be and how planned how she was going to behave, now here's the key. She began to move into a state of gratitude where she, teach, she taught her body to give, move into a state of such thankfulness during her meditation without a reason for it, just because she could. Her body as the unconscious mind. Gratitude means the event has already happened. You give thanks after it's over. As she moved into a state of gratitude, her body began to physiologically change to the extent that her body thought she was living that, that um, miraculous healing in the present moment. very short amount of time, she went back to the doctor, had her blood test, and without a doubt, there was no um, imbalance any longer. And uh, I just saw her last weekend in Phoenix. She's a healthy, happy person. That's a wonderful story, Joe, and it's taking us right into our final break. This is Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. You're listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tong. I have with me today Dr. Joe Dispenza talking about his new groundbreaking book called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself and having a wonderful discussion uh, about the, the information in the book and how this really is a journey for you to undertake to really uh, go to your highest uh, place of consciousness and awareness and, and to become your real authentic self. Uh, in, the, in the book, Joe, you talk about uh, the gap. Uh, explain that to us. Sure. Uh was kind of more of a self-realization than anything else one day. I was sitting on my couch and contemplating really what it was to be happy. And I think all of us reach a certain point in our life, probably our mid to late 30s and through our 40s, where we've experienced uh, a lot of what life has to offer. We've had relationships, we've had success, we've had failures, we've had betrayal, um, we've had um, shocking events in our life, um, 
we felt guilt and shame and we've gone through all the emotions and pretty much by the middle of our life, we can predict the feeling of everything that's going to happen in our life. And if we like the way it's going to feel, we'll choose that we do it. And if we don't like the way it feels, we probably won't do it. And so this makes a very interesting uh, um, uh, uh, case history here because it really means then that how can the unknown ever happen in our life if we're already trying to predict of how it's going to feel? Right around this point in our life, we develop this gap. And the gap really is if you took one hand and placed it at your forehead and your other hand and placed it at your belly button, the top hand represents how we appear to the world, our external presentation. And that bottom feeling represents, bottom hand represents how we feel inside. Now, we've all had experiences as a child or as children where we've uh, had some events that we couldn't explain that have left some feelings that um, have altered us. But we have this natural ability to put all of our attention on the external environment. You know, we go to school, we make friends, we play sports, um, we go to college, we study new things, we make new friends, we live in different places, um, uh, we get married, we have children, we get divorced, we have pets, we have cars, we have homes. And all of this works really well for, the, for a period of time. And then after a certain point, uh, nothing uh, is making that feeling go away on the bottom. In other words, as we use our environment to identify uh, or create an identity by identifying with the people we know and the things we do and the places we go, we create this facade, this image, this illusion of who we really are. Well, right around the middle of our life, nothing's making that bottom hand go away. Nothing's making that feeling go away. And this is pretty much the midlife crisis. And some people will actually look down at that bottom feel, feeling and start telling the truth and say, you know, what is love? What, is, what does this all mean? What is the meaning of life? Um, why am I trying to do all these things? This isn't who I really am. I don't even like those people. And they start telling the truth about who they are. They, they actually abandon that top hand, which is, you know, spinning plates and keeping this all going. Uh, and this is the moment the soul works, wakes up and says, you know, pay attention to this feeling. So certain people will look down at that feeling and start telling the truth, and then the friends in their life will notice that they're um, acting a little differently, and they'll take them to the doctor, and they'll get Prozac, and they'll return back to the same person again. Other people don't want to look at that feeling. They don't like it. It's nothing's going, making it go away. So they buy the sports cars. They, they buy the boat. They join the social club and meet new people. They accumulate new things. They go to new places on vacation. But when the novelty of all of that wears off, that feeling comes back again. And this is uh, a very key moment because they're really struggling to create a new identity. They're really struggling to change, but they think that change happens outside of them. Now, the, the distance between those two hands are the emotions that we've memorized, that we've literally become addicted to. So layer by layer, we wear these emotions that create this gap. And so other people will realize that uh, the car didn't do it or the, the affair didn't do it or the um, vacation didn't do it. So no person, no thing, or no... Uh, uh, a place is going to change it so they turn to something that's going to make the feeling go immediately. So this is where drugs and alcohol and 
gambling and addictions and shopping and pornography and um, overeating, undereating, all of these things that take place. Because the moment a person uses a drug or the moment they you know, shop too much or the moment they gamble, the moment they do that, it, it makes that feeling go away. And the moment they notice that they feel better inside of them, they pay attention to whatever it was outside of them that caused that. And that event begins to create that addiction. So the problem with it is, is that if you, if you use the drug or you gamble or you shop and the feeling goes away, you get that burst of pleasure from that experience. The pleasure centers in your brain begin to become hijacked. They become recalibrated, and they start moving to a higher level, which means they become desensitized. So now you, the next time you shop, if you spent $5,000, you have to spend $10,000. If you gambled and you, and you gambled for $20,000, now you have to gamble for $25,000 to get the same high. And this is where um, people begin to move way out of balance. So, and it actually enhances that gap. So, it's, again, it's an attempt to really try to change. It's just that we've been conditioned into believing that change happens outside of us. When we begin to look down at those emotions that have defined us, instead of running away from them and trying to make them go away on the outside, we begin to become uh, aware of them and we begin to unmemorize them. And as we close the gap between how we appear and who we are, every time we unmemorize an emotion, there's a liberation of energy. And that energy literally becomes the energy that we can use to create a new destiny with. In other words, when how you appear is who you are, and those hands are closed, then it doesn't take any energy. Now you're free. And so transformation then actually comes from within, and joy comes from within, instead of pleasure-seeking outside of us. So, Joe, that's brought me beautifully to, to the last couple of minutes of the show, so I'd love you in the last two minutes, if you wouldn't mind, just to talk a bit about that destiny you just mentioned. Well, I think our purpose in life, Peter, without a doubt, is not to be popular or successful or beautiful or, or rich, uh, uh, which, we've, which the, by the way, the media and the corporations know that they... <laughs> You appeal to that bottom hand that people are going to consume because they're trying to continuously create an identity. When we begin to unmemorize those emotions, we begin to remove the blocks, the layers, or the masks that block the flow of that spiritual intelligence within us, that divine mystic within us. And as we begin to remove those layers, those habits and those emotions, very naturally, that intelligence begins to leak out of us. It begins to bleed through us. It begins to consume us. We become more like it. We become more loving. That's its mind. Uh, I mean, it, we become more giving. It's its mind. We become more willful. That's its mind. We become more conscious. That's its mind. And so, as that intelligence begins to consume us, its nature becomes our nature. Its consciousness becomes our consciousness. Its mind is now our mind. And there's nothing actually to do because when that happens... We're overjoyed by that uh, presence within us, and uh, then nothing outside of us really can seduce us uh, again, and that's when we begin to experience true freedom. I love the line in, in, in near the end of the book. You talked about the paradox of when you have the sense of wholeness, you don't desire anything. Yeah, that's the moment I have. I've had those moments, fleeting moments, where you are so whole in that moment, you feel so complete and so 
uh, in love with life that you couldn't want because the very act of wanting would mean then you'd be separate from something. And when you're in that state of wholeness, that what I call the natural state of being, the miraculous happens around you without you having to try or do anything. It's just an extension of your mind. And quantum model of reality says, you know, your environment is an extension of your mind. So if you truly change on the inside, you truly change your mind, and there should be evidence in your life, and it should come in a way that you least expect, that surprises you, that catches you off guard and leaves no doubt that what you did inside of you produced some result outside of you. And that's when we truly feel empowered that we begin to understand what this all means. One of the things we've been saying in our, in our journey recently is in, in writing the book about it, you couldn't actually make the story up. It's, it's way more wonderful, exciting, and unexpected than, than you could even predict. Yeah, that's exactly the truth. So, Joe, this has been an absolutely wonderful uh, time spent with you. I really enjoyed today's show. You're doing a wonderful job. Please do go to www.drjoedispenza.com. I really recommend uh, highly reading this book, Breaking the Habits of Being Yourself. And, Joe, thank you so much for being my guest today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Peter. It was an honor. Thank you so much. Well, I hope you've enjoyed today's show. My guest next week is Robert Rubin, who will also be following a similar theme of talking about your authentic self and finding inner freedom. I hope you've enjoyed uh, today's show. Have a wonderful week. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. We hope that you found this week's show to be enlightening and inspiring. Please join host Peter Tung for another edition of Awakening to Conscious Creation next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.